0: Ireland is the homeland of so many of the Catholics in the United States. It's a land where St. Patrick prayed that the faith would always be retained, got that promise from God, and yet it was so disturbing to see Ireland vote for same-sex marriage and then vote for abortion. What has gone on with the faith in Ireland? We know that they were rocked by sexual abuse scandals. Can the faith survive? It survived some of the most unbelievable persecutions over the years. We're going to be speaking today with Father Brendan Kilcoyne, who is quite the lively priest there, tells us that the faith is still alive, but needs our prayers in this land where we received so much from Ireland. Stay tuned. Father Brendan Kilcoyne, thank you for joining us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show.
1: Not at all, John Henry. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Great. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross, if you wouldn't mind leading us.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, Father Brendan, it is uh, a pleasure to talk to you uh, from the land of Ireland, where historically known for such brave and fighting Catholicism, you know, under massive repression often, and yet coming out with a stronger and stronger faith every time. Let's start from what's going on right now and then get more into that history, which I know you know very well. I think for a lot of people right now, to find out what's happening in Ireland is very important because we've had Real, it's, it's like an earthquake in the church all over the world. But one of the questions is, what's happening in Ireland right now? Is the same earthquake happening? Um, and how are the people faring there?
1: It's not a great situation, John Henry. I suppose really, you're talking about modernity. It was inevitable. It was always going to happen. It just uh, happened for a number of reasons, historical, sociological. It happened uh, uh, much later in Ireland. Um, and it's been greatly accelerated by uh, unfolding scandals internal to the church, uh, emerging over about a twenty-five year period. So what you're looking at really is—it's really without precedent in 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 our in our history. It's it's a, a situation in which the church is almost certainly, whatever the official census may say. Uh, the church is, is a minority, and uh, perhaps not even a very substantial one. The most recent census showed that uh, still a very high number of people um, actually self-described as Catholics. Uh, I think some, something in the region of about 70%, but that, that's, uh, that's a very, very marked decline on previous decades. Back in the 60s, it was as high as 95%. And practice is much lower than that. Again, uh, let's say, talking about the pre-COVID situation, uh, practice, I would say, uh, was probably somewhere in the 30s. In some of the cities, as low as 2%. Obviously higher. Actually, in most of the cities, it's very low, with the exception of one or two, uh, like Limerick in the West. So you can see that it's it's um, uh, the tsunami of of modernity has hit us, and of course, what it hit really was an institution that was it seemed at a man time, it seemed so powerful, so fortress like, but in fact, it was uh, it was terrifyingly vulnerable. Looking at it in retrospect. I think Frank Duff, the founder of the Legion of Mary, had commented a way back, perhaps back in the in the fifties, that he was he had become worried that Irish Catholicism, even then, had started to become quite superficial. And um, we also know, for instance, that um, in the clergy there seems to have been a major. Failure of of uh, spirituality and morals, which really only started to come to light in the nineties. Right. I don't if I'm surprising any Americans who have relatives or friends here, uh, and who are in tune with what's happening. And I'm probably not surprising you, but uh, for some people in the states, it still comes as a surprise to realise that Ireland is really no longer a Catholic country. Not in any meaningful sense, John Henry, Um, because, I mean, you you can't just take in the number of people who are being baptized. We're still run off our feet doing baptisms, but I can assure you we're not run off our feet looking after uh, parishioners uh, at uh, weekly masses and so on, you know. Um, So the whole thing really is very superficial.
0: Around the world, we had a phenomenon going on about the traditional Latin Mass. Um, They had a real show of, I don't know, support from young people. All of a sudden, rather than walking into church, and I don't know if it's the same in Ireland, but often I've seen here in America, uh, parts of Europe, you walk into a church, and if you're at a daily Mass, like I am... You go and you see, there's usually a handful of old ladies. It's always old ladies. Uh, In in Croatia, it was somewhat different. There was some men in there as well, which was really surprising. Um, But that's really it on a daily Mass. On a Sunday Mass, there's more. But the traditional Latin Masses, what I've noticed is that... By the way, I don't have access to one where I am as well. But nonetheless, when I'm traveling, I've seen daily Masses and Sunday Masses. They're full of those... Uh, what you might call old-fashioned old families with, like my family has, you know, a whole bevy of children in the row. They take up most of the row themselves, if not the whole row. And sometimes if they're huge families, <laughs> the row behind them. Um, but is that the same in Ireland? Is that go on as well there?
1: My information is that the demographic at the Latin masses is very healthy. It's a, it's a, a fantastic, as you said, the fantastic old-fashioned mix. Uh, with all the generations represented. Uh, I'm sorry to say that's not the case in in my church or in in most churches, as far as I know, Um, you have some young people, but very few. Um, In my parish, we've put a great deal of investment into youth ministry, and that has produced some results, but the going is hard and it's slow. This culture has taken root in the space of a few decades and it is monstrously strong and powerful. When you come to grips with it, you you know you're dealing with something really powerful. A whole set of assumptions have taken over people's minds um, and have become part of their worldview and the way they view things. So it it, it really came as a shock to many of us to hear that the Latin Masses were able to count on considerable numbers of young people. And indeed, to hear, as I did recently, from priests in France, that the same was very markedly a part of the French scene.
0: It does tend to be that way, and that's why there's such consternation now over this uh, latest document from Rome, Traditiones Costeris, um basically uh, hampering, uh, if not killing off, the traditional Latin mass. Um, and that it really puts it at the bishop's whim, which is quite dangerous uh, for the most part. Uh, and I, knowing your Irish scene of at least your bishops, uh, it's really dangerous there. The solution to bringing young people back to the church um, around the world has been very strange. Uh, you do have tradition-minded bishops uh, opening Latin masses, and that seems to be working very well. Yet the method that has been Encouraged, and, and I know also by your Irish bishops, which seems to me the very same thing that caused most people to exit the church in the first place during the 60s and 70s. Just like, let's get with the times, especially on the LGBT issue. It's been ridiculous to, to go forward in this direction. You know, the, the, a lot of the bishops in the United States, and unfortunately including Pope Francis, are pushing the Father James Martin approach. The, you know, the pushing of LGBT identity, and in Father James Martin, who, uh, you know, everybody knows well, is is promoting, oh, it's too bad that we can't have same-sex marriages in church, but blessings, civil unions, the Pope has said so, so we should go for that. This is very scary. What's your take on that vis-a-vis Ireland? Have you seen that push in Ireland much? Um, and what do you think that's going to do for the church?
1: I think our biggest problem here isn't a lack of goodwill. Like we've we a very solid, a very solid crowd of men in the in, in, in our bishops here. I don't think it's a lack of goodwill. I I, I think uh, that the particular tightrope that has to be walked, and it is a tightrope, requires requires skills that most of us don't have yet. Uh, it's it's. It's this it's the skill, it's probably always been difficult. It's the skill of separating the sinner from the sin. And I think where we've ended up in trouble is that um I don't mean to criticize the Holy Father, but, but I, I can see I I know this sounds passionizing, but I believe I can see what he's trying to do. I was taught by the Jesuits in the Gregorian Rome thirty years ago. It was a heavily Spanish presence there. He's very legible if you were there then at that time. He, he, he desperately does not want people to be left out. He doesn't want the Redeemer to judge us for not going after the lost sheep. And absolutely, we have to do that. But it's so tricky in this world of instant communications um, to go after the lost sheep without giving the impression that the lost sheep was quite right to take off in the first place, uh, without seeming to justify the peregrinations of the lost sheep <laughs> over hill and dale, um, so to speak. Uh, this is, it's, in terms, the pastoral challenge here is absolutely huge. The subtlety, the nuance the, the almost, uh, I, I don't know, you, you need the sure-footedness of a mountain goat for this kind of thing. And I think my generation and the older generation, I don't think we have simply that sense of the immediacy of communication in the modern world. I think it's absolutely clear that we get across is that LGBTQ or whatever it is, that these people are so totally welcome in the church, that we love them, that we are desperate for them to stay with us. We want to get to heaven. We want everyone to get to heaven. We don't just want a few to get to heaven, but that you won't get to heaven that way. Now, how do you say that without sounding like some sort of, um, uh, you know, homophobic, um, uh, maniac who just wants to go out and, 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 and and kill gay people or whatever i mean that's difficult in this modern world particularly where so many of the media seem to be working against us and are all too willing to pounce on the slightest nuance the slightest inflection but i i do know from the few bishops i know here and from my own heart i know we so desperately want these people to stay with us for a whole range of reasons. Firstly, for their immortal souls. Another reason as well, which is interesting, is that I think people people who are most open to, let's say, artistic impulse, artistic crea- uh, creativity and inspiration are often on the edge of experience. They're, they're in that liminal place in which also often people who are struggling with, uh, let's say, same-sex attraction or whatever, find themselves as well. They have a tremendous amount to offer to the church. They have a tremendous amount to offer to the development of Catholic spirituality in a new age. Because if you don't suffer, how do you identify with the man of sorrows? How do you identify with, with, with the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and let it into your heart and let Christ into your heart? We are trying to bring a message we are trying to bring our brothers and sisters the food of heaven without spilling the damn thing on the way and ending up breathless okay breathless at the other end of the bog with nothing to give them we can't we can't just lose our integrity as we preach the message we must give them the the living water it's it's a difficult challenge there's no doubt about it but it's doable It can be done. I I, I think more than ever, we have to get behind the Holy Father now. We have to pray, pray, pray for the Holy Father. We have to love him more than ever. In this recent thing, all right. Again, I had the feel reading the motto proprio that I was listening to my father when I was a small kid. He's very much like an Irish father of a particular generation, you know. This is the way it's going to be. And this is what you're going to do. And and fine, sometimes we need that. This is tough for people. It's tough because we saw the fruits that were coming from the Latin Mass. We see the possibilities. It's very easy now to write off, for some people to write off the Holy Father to say, well, that's it. I tried Catholicism again. I came back to it through the Latin Mass. I tried it. And now I get a kick in the backside, so I'm gone. I'm out. I beg them not to. This is part of Catholicism. He's a tough leader. He's being tough on us. But we're the old guard, John Henry. You know? The Latin mass gang, if you like, the whole, let's say, conservative element in the church, we're the old guard. You know what they used to say about Napoleon's old guard? The troops who had served with him through thick and thin. The guard dies, it does not surrender. We stick by the Pope, we stick by the Lord, we stick by Our Lady, we stick by the, the Vicar of Christ. Um, if he, Maybe some, some of us feel just at the moment, understandably perhaps, that he doesn't feel he needs us at all. But he'll need us again, and we'll be there for him. Yep. I think that's, it's just crucial that we get that get that out in ireland we've always loved the pope we've always loved our lady um, we loved our lady sometimes more than we love god some people used to say <laughs> and it's true that often the irish found it easier to pray to our lady than to pray to god they were afraid of god because god was like a, an irish father <laughs> was very strict <laughs> so you you went to our lady to get past him um, I think we need to use our native genius again for the faith, you know, our lady, the saints, our sense that, you know, there were a whole load of ways of, how would you put it, of of um, of making it easier to get access to God. It's, it's not that God does that to us, it's that we find it so hard to go to him. And this is what makes it easier. The, the Pope is just crucial in all of this. Um, He's, i say, wasn't it Catherine of Siena called him our sweet Christ on
0: earth? You were talking about the love that we as Catholics must have for the LGBT uh, people who feel inclined to uh, LGBT, same-sex attracted Catholics. And then the love we need to have for the Holy Father. And I think there's a very, uh, there's a distinct similarity there. In that that love always has to be delivered in truth, because as you said, we can't get there if across the bog, if you will, if we spill the tea, if we fail to bring the truth. Um, and it's funny because with our brothers and sisters who are same sex attracted, let's say, um, we bring them the truth in love and with love. Uh, Oftentimes from a lot of people who've been there, done that. Uh, I think a lot of people who fell off the uh, bandwagon of purity in their lives before and were able to come back, have a capacity to deal with those issues, perhaps better than many who haven't been there, done that. Um, And I think there's a method there to bring the truth in love, but to bring the truth nevertheless, nevertheless. Sometimes in a way that has to be very upfront, you know, uh, this behavior leads to hell. This behavior also leads to all sorts of disease. Um, And normal human sexuality between a husband and wife is non-disease carrying, uh, especially if it's done the way it's supposed to be done uh, with one man, one woman for life, never having gone outside that, then it's actually a healthy thing. Um, And so similarly with with the Holy Father, it's very interesting because... Uh, When I spoke uh, once with Bishop Athanasius Schneider, whom I'm sure you've heard of before, he said something very interesting with regard to the Holy Father. And it was that all these people who are encouraging him in the various things that he says that are off kilter with the church, uh, when he said, for instance, you know, um, uh, cohabitation is real marriage and has the grace of real marriage. Uh, When he talked about how in grave circumstances, it's okay to use contraception they were given in talks or on plane interviews on the plane and so on and so forth. But yet the the Bishop Schneider was saying, we can't encourage that those who are encouraging it in order to get ahead, you know, because if you say, Oh, that was great. That was great. You're probably going to get a promotion or something. But if you truly love the Holy Father, then we must resist uh, in the words of Cardinal Burke, when he goes off the page of the faith, because for for laymen, It's something, you know, for us, we have to be able to defend the faith for the sake of our kids. And so when it happens that... Uh, You know, that one incident that I talked about when the Holy Father said, you know, it was July 16, 2016, in the talk to priests and and people in Rome, he was talking about marriages that he'd seen in northeastern Argentina and how, you know, those people, they they were scared to get married, but those cohabitations, they were real and they they were faithful to one another. And those were real marriages and they had the grace of real marriage. My daughter called me that day from college to say, Dad, is it true the Pope said you know cohabitation's real marriage has the grace of real marriage. I've asked several cardinals since was I supposed to lie to my daughter? The thing is to call the Holy Father to be aware of what's what he's saying, the effect that it can have on the faithful. The danger for our children for the faith in general, but also for his own soul, because it was our Lord who talked to the apostles saying, it would be better for you that a millstone be tied about your neck and be thrown into the sea rather than you confuse the little ones. And so we've seen that confusion of the little ones up front, up close, re- in real time. So yeah, the, the, the idea of loving the Holy Father, to love them in that same way as the people who are inclined to same-sex attraction, to bring them the truth not nonetheless, but in love and with love is uh, is very, very important indeed. Um, Father, if you could tell us a little bit about the history of Ireland. I know you know this very well, and, and the history of their persecution uh, and how they came out of that would be great.
1: Ireland has been, um, it's been Christian since the, oh, the 5th century. Even when Patrick came here, there probably were some Christians already on the East Coast, which was facing... Uh, Britain, which was as you, was Roman at the time, as you know, it was a Roman province, well, actually Engl- England and Wales, most of Scotland was not. Um, the Romans never came to Ireland. there's no evidence of, a, of even a, a, an attempt to come to Ireland. Patrick was brought here as a slave, he escaped, he went back, but he couldn't rid himself of the Irish in his mind, in his heart, and he discerned what he believed was a divine call to return, uh, this time as a bishop, uh, to, to, to preach and to spread the gospel in Ireland, which he did. And he became our patron saint. Um, Ireland uh, stayed Catholic. Uh, the church uh, went through, as you might expect, periods of decline and resurgence, um, Became, became corrupt and, and then went through periods of great reform and return. In the 16th century, something happened that had a disastrous effect on the church in England and it had a disastrous effect on Ireland. Uh, it was the, the English Reformation, which, as you know, was a different kind of reformation in that really it began as a political quarrel uh, with the Holy Father. And it, um, it became Protestant. It, we don't have time to go into the details, but between the reign, let's say Henry VIII would certainly have believed that he died a Catholic and he persecuted Protestants, uh, even though he had, he had split with the Pope. Uh, in the reign of his son Edward, which was brief, it became more Protestant. The brief reign of Queen Mary attempted to re- to, to turn that back. Um, and then the long reign of, of Elizabeth, uh, her half-sister, uh, guaranteed the Protestant Reformation in England. Now, that had a huge effect on Ireland because the King of England was uh, King of England and Prince of Ireland. Ireland had its own parliament, but uh, it was under the English king. So this had, this had a tremendous effect, not straight away, but over time. So there were ferocious persecutions in the Tudor period. Uh, It lightened off later. Then in the 17th century, again, you had a big uh, rebellion, the Catholic Confederation. Uh, Then Cromwell uh, landed his troops here, and there was a, a, a savage repression. The population of the country may have been reduced by as much as a fifth, perhaps more. That that may have happened in the Tudor period too. And it was to happen again later. Then you had a period of, again, miraculously the church never died. (laughs) It had a period of quiet resurgence, culminating in in, uh, the fight for the Catholic King James at the end of the 17th century. King James lost, as you know, King William became king. The Protestant ascendancy, as it was called in Ireland, was confirmed, and you had a period called the Penal Laws, which had their fiercest last lasted for about fifty years, but in fact stayed on the books for about a hundred uh, am I right uh, more than a hundred more than a hundred hundred and twenty um, and that was a period when Catholics uh, couldn't enter Parliament, they couldn't practice the most of the professions uh It was pretty bad which was pretty bad. Uh, Catholic priests had to be be trained abroad. They had to be smuggled abroad and trained abroad. And uh, it had lightened off really by the second half of the 18th century, but the penal law stayed on the books until uh, about 1829. I mean, the last of them really went by then. Now, at any time there, it wasn't racist or anything. At any time, a Catholic could have... uh, Entered into the full rights of a subject of the of the king, uh, simply by taking various oaths, acknowledging the king as head of the church, which a Catholic can't do. Yeah, that pretty much is our history. in 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 the nineteenth, Catholic emancipation came in eighteen twenty nine. In the nineteenth century, there was a terrific famine. the The population had massively increased uh, to about eight million. A huge portion of that were, the, were peasantry, which is what I'm descended from. They were completely dependent on potatoes, a crop which had been introduced here from the New World in the 16th century. It had thriven here. The climate here was perfect. Climate is it's wet, temperate. It was perfect for growing potatoes, which, as you know, I mean, you can live on potatoes. And a huge portion of the population did. In the 1840s, 1845, there was a blight, which I think came from... Perhaps Canada, and it it um, it devastated the potato crop. It moved very quickly. It was a disaster. Uh, over about three years, something like a million died. Another million emigrated. Again, the faith didn't die, but it produced a very hard type of faith. It produced a very uh, it produced a peasantry who were obsessed with property, terrified of uh, any kind of irregularity. They leaned on their faith and the faith and, and the people, as it were, combined, conspired to make sure that wouldn't happen again. It produced a very severe Catholicism. Uh, it, it, that helps to explain a certain amount about our, our problems. It also, it also, in fairness, explains the strengths that were in Irish Catholicism, but it was it was it was a, it was a tough faith. It was a hard faith, and it was quite intolerant in many ways. Quite harsh.
0: It brings to mind your opening statement of, uh, you know, the faith is still here, because that that you know with that history in mind, that's an incredible thing, and it makes one think that despite the lockdowns, coronavirus, anything. You're not killing the faith in Ireland.
1: (laughs) It's a faith that has survived. As the old hymn, uh, actually written by an English priest, Father Faber, uh, Faith of Our Fathers, as it says, in spite of dungeon, fire and sword. It might have added in spite of famine and in spite of its own adherence, because we made terrible mistakes. I say we because I'm a priest and brother priests made mistakes. I think, John Henry, that our biggest mistake was probably a mistake the church has often made and will make again. We we married the spirit of the times more than we thought we had. Hmm. And because the spirit of the times was not alien to our faith or didn't seem to be, didn't seem to be as better, we married it very easily but actually there there was a harshness and a ruthlessness in that world view that did not accord with christianity or with you know with catholicism and we we made a big mistake there and i think we would make it all over again if we were to compromise uh too easily uh with uh this modern society which has its own darkness just as the previous
0: one did. One of the big darknesses of this modern age uh, has been the sexual revolution and then the unfolding of the revelations of sexual abuse by priests um, and then cover up by bishops. I know that's affected a lot in Ireland as well. Uh, what has come of that um, and what do, you, what do you see as a way forward from that?
1: I would say that it has the effect of dynamiting a landslide, a waiting landslide. Modernity was always going to hit Ireland and it was going to hit us hard. But the scandals um, managed to do the almost impossible. They have almost uprooted uh, a faith that was in the very marrow and bones of the people.
0: That brings me to a question if I might father, it's very hard for Catholics, especially Catholics who who read the lives of the saints, to comprehend that one, particularly because of St Patrick, you know, Saint. Patrick, who spent so long on the rock to to get from our Lord the promise that the faith would always be retained in in Ireland. I must admit when 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 they lost it on marriage, that's when I, I knew the abortion thing would go bad because once I saw them lose it on marriage, I said, well, that's... But it, it rocked something in me because I've always... I've grown up with the story of St. Patrick on the Rock and, and was sure, like, you know, when things were going haywire in America and the faith, I was like, oh, we could always move to Ireland. Uh, but um, how do you explain that? I, I would love to hear your take on that.
1: Is it the same Ireland? No. Is there anything left of the old Ireland? Yes. Without a doubt, the faith is still here. The faith hasn't gone, but it has been reduced, reduced. It has been it has been cut back to the quick, but it's still here. So, pa- Patrick's Patrick's um, uh, his his the promise, as it were, he he extracted from God, so to speak. Um, no, we're still here. We're still here. Patrick can smile on that from heaven, if on nothing else. I would say as a guess, and it's an educated guess, that this is one of the hardest, if not the hardest, mission in the English-speaking world today, is Ireland. Wow. Uh, and I would point out that the Irish were, the Irish were always tough. The Irish are a tough crowd. Uh, This is the people who broke the British Empire. But the Irish in the past were overwhelmingly Catholic. Now they're tough, and they're overwhelmingly not Catholic. That's very interesting, (laughs) if you're still Catholic.
0: Do you remember, there's a very similar promise uh, to the three children of Fatima uh, when uh, Sister Lucia asked her lady about Portugal. And uh, she mentioned that in Portugal, uh, the faith would always be retained. So when Portugal started losing it on the same issues of life and family, it again rocked the world, just like it had with Ireland. And so it does make you wonder what heaven meant, because they seem to suggest that if you look at it now with this new information that we've lost the faith largely, uh, and there's only a small remnant, what did Our Lady mean? Uh, that that brings on some ominous question, because you're like, oh, the faith will be retained? in Portugal, as it would be retained in Ireland, what does that mean for the rest of the world? Um, Anyway, interesting, uh, perhaps concerning possibilities. Uh, Any closing words for us, Father Brendan?
1: We Catholics in Ireland are immensely proud of the Catholic Church in the United States. We know that you've had your problems, as we have, but we're very proud of the way, uh, in so many ways in in the American Church, there is resurgence, vitality, a tremendous vitality and a spirit of of fighting back and presenting the gospel in ever new ways to a a new age. We ask you to pray for us. Above all, we ask you to pray for us because we are determined to do that here as well. And we are hugely inspired. In, In a sense, the church in America is the daughter church of the Irish church. Um, in a sense, and we're very proud, very proud of that. Um, we need you now to pray for us, and we need we need you to continue to take an interest in us and make us feel that we're not alone. I just want to say on that note, John Henry, that we're very grateful for the for the 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 the, the funding, the life uh, life funding that you're helping us with, that LifeSite News is helping us with. Uh, Immaculata Productions and Immaculata Productions Make My Work Possible is a tiny Irish company named Immaculata in tribute to the Blessed Mother and tribute to Father Kolbe, because the Irish, again, identify very much with the Polish people as well in their history. And there are a lot of Polish people living here now. Immaculata Productions uh, really needs that help. And it's so good of... Uh, of, of you and of your colleagues to be thinking of us at this time we, we really appreciate it um, we haven't given up uh, we're not going to give up uh, we're going to die Catholics uh, the crucial trick for us now is to make sure that we pass on the faith before we die in the proverbial ditch that's absolutely crucial is that we get the tea to the men on the bog.
0: Will do, Father. Father Brendan, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I want to encourage you, uh, that's all of you uh, viewers out there, to please uh, consider fighting for the Church in Ireland. And you can do that in a very special way by going to LifeFunder and uh, funding this effort to spread the true faith. It is, as you see, it's uh, it's very much... Um, it's been brought down low, but uh, we can do everything we can. First of all, to pray, as Father said, but also you want a good place to park some of that money that's not going to go to your parish because now they're unfaithful um, or doing all sorts of weird things. There's a good cause here in that. Uh, and Father Brendan Kilcoin, thank you for standing for the faith. Uh, thank you for committing it uh, to it till uh, death. And... Um, We will be praying for you. It's been very, very interesting speaking with you. And thank you so much for that. May God bless you.
1: God bless you, John Henry. Thank you.
0: And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifeSiteNews.com, because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to LifeSiteNews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parlor, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSight News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSight News.